0: Blair Adams was a man with a checkered history, but finally seemed to have his life on track in 1996. Yet something happened. Something so terrible, it caused him to flee Canada for the United States. Within three days, he'd be found dead in Tennessee with no suspects. What happened to, and who killed, Blair Adams? About welcome 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 into yet another episode of the kill and miss and hidden podcast i am your buddy brad with you as always to guide you down the tale of terror or in this case just kind of murder um i'll apologize up front i'm recording in the morning my body has not recovered from the trauma of waking up So if I seem a little off, that's probably why. But on to our story. Well, no, not yet. I forgot. We need to give some props to someone. Travis Dorman is a reporter for the Knoxville News, and he did a heck of a job writing and researching on this case from at least Tennessee's perspective. I've, of course, got his articles linked in my show notes. If you want to go check him out and read some more details, do so. Um, He did a really, really good job uh, uh, with this case. And I I think if you're interested in learning more, you can definitely dig out a little more gold than what I'm going to provide for you. And I have to somewhat apologize for last week's episode. I had a few people comment on how aggressive I got. Um, I was just frustrated with the poor policing. So please forgive me. I hope no one thinks I was truly complaining, but to the extent anyone found it inappropriate, please accept my apology. Okay, now we get into this case. So everything seemed to be going swimmingly for Blair Adams, a 31 year old Canadian man, in the summer of 1996. He had just celebrated two years of being sober, he was working as a foreman for his employer, a construction company and he was dating a nice girl from Germany. He finally seemed to be living a clean life after having some brushes with the law during his youth. But things began to change during the summer. He became suddenly forgetful. He wasn't acting like himself. He started missing AA meetings, Co-workers became concerned and said they really needed to see a doctor. His mom had heard so many rumors that he was up to no good that she confronted him. And when she did, he just said, "I, I can't talk about it. I just can't talk about it. Then, in July, his life and all the promise it held came to a sudden, abrupt, and unexplained end. On Friday, July 5th, Adams withdrew almost all of his money from his bank account. He also emptied the contents of a savings deposit box he had and put it into a fanny pack. And this wasn't something minor. His safety deposit box contained gold and silver and platinum and and lots of jewelry. He then called his mom and told her that he was taking a spur-of-the-moment trip to visit his uncle in I believe it's pronounced Courtenay, British Columbia, which was about four hours away from his home in Surrey, in British Columbia. So Adams kind of next appears on the radar when he's prevented from boarding a ferry from Victoria, British Columbia, into Seattle, Washington. U.S. immigration officials flagged him as a possible drug courier because he was single, he wasn't married, he had a... Hit history of being a criminal associated with drugs, and he just had a ton of cash on him. And when he was being interrogated, I guess you'd say, or uh, investigated further, he lied about his criminal history and some other things that were pretty easy to catch. So the border officials said, nah, you, you, you can't come into our country. So after being denied entry, Adam spent that Sunday visiting a friend in Vancouver. He then went to see another friend in Westminster, and then finally to see his mother in Surrey. And everybody agrees he just wasn't himself. He was scared to be alone and began crying as he explained that he was going to have to quit the job that he was so proud of holding. And everybody had noted to the police that Like, he was really, really anxious. He even told one of his friends that he needed to cross the border because somebody was trying to kill him. That next day, Monday, July 8th, again 1996, Adams packed up his bags and left his mother's home. It'd be the last time she'd ever see him alive. He told her he was going to travel to America to attend the Summer Olympics, which were being held in Atlanta, Georgia and were set to begin on July 19th. Instead, Adams left his mother's house and went to the airport to buy a ticket to Frankfurt, Germany, where his girlfriend was living. He had also been to Frankfurt before as part of his work, and he had some friends and connections there, so it kind of made sense for him, well, if I can't get into the U.S., I'll go to Germany. While he worked in Germany, it's kind of interesting to note that he was generally described by most of his co-workers there as kind and gentlemanly. Several of his male co-workers said he was abrasive and quick to start fights over very minor things. Shortly before Adams decided he needed to ditch town, several German workers transferred from the Frankfurt area into... Uh, British Columbia and he told one of his friends that he was really worried that they were out to get him now the next morning he was found wandering near the Canadian U.S. border before dawn he was arrested because he matched the description of a recent car theft now oddly the stolen car was found not far away from where Adams was arrested and officers noted that Adams seemed to be in a daze and he had multiple, multiple scratches on his hands and legs, but they were all small ones. I guess the kind you'd get fighting a cat. However, he proclaimed his innocence, and there was really no evidence tying him directly to the vehicle's theft. So he was released later that day. Now, interestingly, looking back, uh, at least one friend reported seeing Adams driving in a car that matched the stolen car description before he left Canada so Adams being ever persistent tried to cross into the US Uh, and this time he succeeded but for what it's worth I found at least one source that claimed it took Adams five attempts to get into America so I but I couldn't find any details on the other two attempts but on this either third or fifth attempt He rented a Nissan Altima from the Vancouver International Airport and drove to Seattle. At the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, Adams then bought a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C., which is kind of noteworthy because a one-way ticket costs twice as much as a round-trip ticket because airline pricing makes so much sense. When he landed in D.C., Adams rented a Toyota Camry, He got into a minor traffic accident in Troy, Virginia, later that morning. The motorist he had hit said Adams was very, very polite, but it was clear that he was in a hurry. Adams was next really spotted in Knoxville, Tennessee, one of the true places of evil in the college football world. I think he arrived there around 5.30 in the evening, and here's where I say Roll Tide. So Adams getting gas in Knoxville around 530. The clerk at Adams' request called for a mechanic because he couldn't get his car to start. The mechanic, a fellow by the name of Gerald Sapp, came out and immediately noticed the source of the problem. Adams was trying to use the keys for the Nissan Altima he had rented first rather than the Toyota Camry. Sapp told him of the problem and said, look in your pockets for the right keys. You got to have them, otherwise you couldn't have driven here. But Adams refused. Sap was later quoted as saying he didn't appear to be messed up, but, and he didn't appear to be on drugs, but it was clear his mind wasn't functioning. Sap called for a tow truck to take the vehicle to a local garage and then gave Adams a ride to a nearby hotel. Adams left his luggage behind, which consisted of one bag, so Sap turned back around and took it to Adams at the hotel. Now, the hotel clerk remembered Adams because he was acting very weird. He arrived around 7 p.m. He entered the lobby and exited the lobby about five times in 40 minutes, according to security footage. He finally decided to rent a room for $100, He took the key, but refused to take his change. The desk clerk called his room repeatedly, saying, I've got your change here, come get it, but Adams never answers. It turns out, it appears, at least from what I can tell, that he never went to the room. The desk clerk was quoted as saying, He was just very nervous, agitated, expecting someone to come in on him, even though there wasn't anybody there. I don't know who he was looking for, but he was waiting for somebody to walk in for him. So now where Adams went after he left the lobby isn't clear. Some folks have said that he went to a local truck stop and was flipping through a tattoo magazine while talking to an unidentified man. Others claimed he stopped to eat at a Cracker Barrel restaurant and shared a table with an unidentified man. Now, no witness gave the same description of what this man looked like. But forensic investigators were able to confirm that Adams clearly ate a meal before he died, as his stomach contained lettuce, shrimp, and meat. The nearby truck stop is noteworthy because it was like the center of prostitution in Knoxville at the time. Both male and female sex workers could be found there. Though generally believed to be heterosexual, Adams had at least one prior relationship with a male in his past. Why am I mentioning this? Well, because police believe Adams' death is linked to a sexual an encounter. So Adams was discovered dead around 7.30 in the morning on July eleventh, nineteen 1996. It was in a parking lot of a hotel that was under construction across the street from the hotel he had checked into. He was found largely naked, though it appeared his pants had been pulled off by another person at the waist and his shirt had been torn apart. Uh, The description of the pants, like if, if you've ever tried to change a diaper of a kid and they fight you on it, you know how you just have to grab their waistband and pull the pants down and they get flipped inside out? Sounds like that's how his pants were here. Now, laying across his body and in just kind of in the general area were thousands of dollars of currency, U.S., Canadian, and Germany. Adam's fanny pack, which had all the jewelry and gold and whatnot in it, was still at the scene, untouched. His two sets of car keys, including the one he claimed he didn't have, were haphazardly tossed across the ground along with his hotel key and kind of sadly Adams apparently pulled one of his shoes underneath his head as a makeshift pillow as he laid in the parking lot waiting to die. Now according to police Adams looked like he had taken a beating. He had scratches and cuts all down his arms. He had a very deep gash on one of his hands that had become blackened by the asphalt. Kinda of like, you know, when you were riding your bike or skateboard or whatever and you fell and you tried to brace yourself with your hand, how it get cut up and all the the asphalt would get down in it. That's kind of what his hand looked like. Um, handfuls of Adam's hair had been ripped out. And like I kinda of hinted at, there were indications Adams had been sexually assaulted though police have kept those details very, very close to the vest. The most noticeable wound he had was a giant slice across his head and face that came from something like a crowbar or perhaps a club of some sort. The autopsy and other forensic investigation determined that the cause of death was a ruptured stomach, which led to septic shock. This was almost certainly caused by a brutal bit of blunt force trauma to his belly. A single strand of hair was found in Adam's hand. And they've done DNA analysis on it, but it hasn't matched anyone that investigators can find. Noteworthy, I think in this case, toxicology reports indicated Adam's had absolutely no drugs or alcohol in his system when he died. So he wasn't going through some sort of bender. Um, you know, he wasn't taking drugs or alcohol when he started acting weird. He was sober during this time as far as we know. Now there's no known witnesses to the murder. The only person that had any information that could be linked to this murder was there was a security guard from a nearby business. One that couldn't see the crime scene, but he reported that around 3.30 in the morning, he heard a woman screaming out in pain. Now, as mentioned, police believe Adams may have solicited a sex worker, gotten in somebody's car, parked at the under construction hotel's parking lot, and then was jumped just before or while the performance, shall we say, was beginning. You know, if he solicited a male prostitute, their theory is that he just beat Adams to death. If he solicited a female prostitute, then police believe he was jumped by her pimp. They believe the struggle largely took place in the vehicle and ended up with Adams being pushed out of the vehicle. The lead detective, David Davenport, thinks that Adams was pushed from the car as it left the parking lot and was struck in the bumper, or excuse me, was struck by the bumper in the abdomen in the process, accounting both for his road-rashed hand and the abdominal injury. Now, the sheriff, Jimmy Jones, believes Adams was pushed out of the car too, but he thinks the ruptured stomach came from a violent kick rather than from the car, and thinks that as the car was leaving the scene... It ran over his hand. Police don't believe this was any sort of drug deal in any way, shape, or form. Adams didn't have a history of making or receiving any phone calls to or from the United States. He was not known to have any friends, contacts, associates in Tennessee. Robbery obviously has been ruled out since all the valuables he had was laying on the asphalt when the police showed up. Sheriff Jones, and what may be one of the best quotes we've ever had on this show, was reported to saying, If I could have one to wish, somewhere in a damn mayonnaise jar I could find a note that tells me what happened, just so I'd know. You know, it's crap like that that makes the South such, I mean, it's the greatest place on Earth. So our turn. And we are left with one heck of a head scratcher. I'm going to run through this case as I believe it went down. If we explore every potential possibility in this one, we may be here through to tomorrow. Um, You know, correctly or incorrectly, Adams believed he had to get out of Canada because his life was at risk. He knew in his mind he was going to be killed, though we never learn why. There's nothing I see that gives us a solid idea of what he may have been up to that would have caused him to feel this way. Again, he did have a checkered past, and maybe there was some sort of debt he owed that he just couldn't pay. He may have also been struggling with an undiagnosed mental illness, though his mother absolutely refutes that speculation saying, you know, she knows her boy and he was acting more or less normal. He was just really scared. Think about what would have to be going on in your life before you would reach the decision of, I've got to quit my job, I've got to leave all my friends and family behind, I've got to take all my cash and other valuables, and I've got to get out of my home country. I mean, that's, that's something huge. To make a decision like that in your life, something major has to be going on. I think Adams truly believed he was going to die if he didn't get somewhere else. I also believe the evidence demonstrates Adams was in four different vehicles in the three days before he was killed. I do believe he stole that car in Canada as in a, in an attempt to make his way into America. He bought two plane tickets in back-to-back days. I think, you know, coupled together, these actions really scream... At least to me, I'm trying to hide. And that would be consistent with his mindset. You know, Adams makes his way to Washington, D.C., then drives into Tennessee, and he's only stopped because of his perceived car problems. We don't really know where Adams was planning on heading. Fate, coupled with his mental state, stopped him in Knoxville. And I do believe that the mental state is a key, key factor here. He was suffering from some sort of mental ailment, in my opinion. Some sort of switch flipped in his mind, and he just had to leave everything behind and start over. The reports from the folks who dealt with him in Tennessee seem to reinforce this idea. He was either losing it, for lack of a better term, mentally or he was truly exhausted from trying to run from these people and from the stress that running would bring into his life, such that his brain had basically turned to goo. Um, I feel pretty confident in saying he was pretty far gone from his normal self by the time he got to Tennessee, but I fall on the side that this was probably a panic-induced exhaustion more than some sort of undiagnosed mental break at this point. Because of that, I don't, I don't go along with the police's theory about the circumstances surrounding his death. I don't think Adams would be looking for sex. I think he'd be looking for a ride. There's no evidence he wanted to be in Tennessee. Sex workers, at least the ones I've represented, you know, they're all about the money. And I can't imagine that they would have left all that money on the ground. I mean, I, I've seen them, <laughs> I've seen them literally risk an arrest unsuccessfully to try to snatch an extra 20 or 50 bucks. I mean, I'm stereotyping, I acknowledge that. I'm just offering you my perspective from what I've experienced during my career. So, I, I have a hard time believing that that jewelry and all that currency would be safe. Now, I am open to the idea that Adams was truly being stalked by someone. It doesn't make sense for me to believe that, unless he remained evolved in the drug world in some capacity. I mean, him being a sober guy is a plus. He's a former user... He kind of knew how things work on the street level. He had connections, but then he got clean. So he knew a little bit about the business, but he wasn't going to be a liability because he wasn't a user anymore. He could have stepped into some sort of minor role in an organization. Uh, you know, and you add in the fact that he probably stole that car. He willingly lied to immigration officials over something that was easily verifiable indicates that he didn't really have a problem playing on the other side of the law. And, you know, traditionally, construction work, especially larger construction jobs, are under the control of mob activity. Not always, of course. That's just a historical stereotype so I think I think Adams did something wrong to the wrong person either he shorted his bosses or he snitched on them or maybe he just slept with the wrong person's girlfriend and him being such a low-level guy in the organization means he can be knocked off so much easier than anybody with rank you want to get rid of a problem before they put your put you in a position to really compromise your illegal organization. So, just kill the dude. Problem solved. Now, he could have gotten in bed with some of the Mexican cartels. Because, despite what politicians and the media want Americans to believe the cartels bring a ton of drugs and a ton of money and a ton of human trafficking across the Canadian border into the U S because of all the attention, the Mexican border gets. And so he could be valuable having a man up there near the Canadian border that a cartel could rely on. Now, being hunted by a cartel would be so so much worse than the traditional mafia. Uh, and Adams would have known that and he certainly would have been desperate to find some sort of safe haven. The drug cartels also have access to incredible levels of technology. It's it's almost super villainish what they have access to. From my research, the first GPS-equipped rental cars started appearing in the market in 1992. Around that same time, they also started realizing the potential of using GPS to find missing cars. So I feel comfortable, though I could not confirm, that GPS monitors were probably starting to become an industry standard by 1996. So let's make that assumption, that he, was, he had rented a car at the Washington airport that had some sort of GPS monitoring. I think they could have easily been traced by the cartels. And to me, it's just way, way too much of a coincidence that Adams is running for his life. He's headed into lands he's never been to before. And he ends up being killed less than 12 hours after his rental car stops working. That is either a wild coincidence or he's actively being preyed upon. So I'm chalking this one up to a hit. As improbable as it may seem, I understand we're making some leaps in logic here. We're making some assumptions. But there's just too many little flags sticking up for me to ignore. He's scared for his life. He's constantly changing his plans, constantly changing vehicles. He runs out of steam in a place he would never be, and he's murdered in a brutal way, possibly with a bit of torture thrown into boot. And, again, I, I view this as him just being exhausted from the run. I absolutely could be wrong. I've made a lot of assumptions and a lot of speculation but we aren't left with much evidence to work with, and that's what makes the most sense to me in my mind as to why this otherwise young man who was seemingly on this, the brink of having a successful normal life would wig out and end up dead in Tennessee. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So as the Toronto Sun said, if Unsolved Mysteries can't beat out new leads, you know it's going to be a tough case to solve. And that's what we have here. I'm with the Sheriff. I'd love to learn what truly happened here, but I'm fairly confident we will never, ever get the full story. That's our tale for this week. Now let's get to our little bits of business. First, we're going to say welcome to our newest members and to our super secret, super special Facebook group. Those new members are Ginger, Mike, Amy, and Elgro. They are truly wise, and they deserve our respect, and we'll be receiving a very steep bill for the membership fee soon. Speaking of Facebook, if you'll remember from a couple episodes ago, I polled our members about where we stand on Mothman. Last time I checked, which admittedly was not today, uh, we were 55% saying that we believe in Mothman. Now, several folks noted that the jury was kind of still out on this, but I'm going to count this as a win for Mothman and declare that we are all now believers in the scripted. Remember, too, that once we reach 25,000 listens, we're going to have a super special giveaway. I'm working on lining up some cool loot. Um, I've confirmed the coolest one so far and just have to put together the rest. Those in our Facebook group will get priority in this giveaway. So make sure you enlist. More details are going to follow, but you'll want to be in on this ride if you like getting free stuff. As always, please share our podcast with anyone you know who may dig the show we're active on instagram very active Uh, our account name is kmh.podcast you can come follow us and see a bunch of nonsense as always remember if you want to check out any of our sources like i mentioned at the top of the show we put our show notes online with every episode you can also find them on our website kmhpodcast.com I think I've mentioned this before, but we're closing in on 100 Apple podcast reviews. Since the vast majority of our audience uses Apple, please be kind. Go leave us a five-star review, and let's see if we can't reach 100 reviews by the end of the year. Why? I don't know. Um, 100 sounds cool. It's a nice round number, number, you know. And make sure you subscribe, too. I've kept you waiting long enough we've got our palate cleanser but it is not from Mr. Eli this week I received a listener uh, suggested palette cleanser and I thought it was pretty good so this is from listener Graham my new housemate says the place is haunted but I've lived here for over 300 years I've never had a problem so nice little spooky one for you alright my wife My wife also insisted I share this story with you. My stepmother's Instagram account was recently hacked, and I received a message from quote-unquote her that was obviously not from her. So I had a bit of fun with them, and she thought y'all would enjoy the back and forth from my alleged stepmom. Glad to hear from you. I'm pretty doing good as well and can't complain about it even happy with my present situation with the help and support of COVID-19 grant benefits subvention in my life. What are you up to these days? So this is my response and this is all BS, but I thought it was fun. Well, you know, since the surgery, things have been tough. I'm hoping I can get out of bed sometime in the next couple weeks. I'm just in that place between being in terrible pain and being terrified of taking the pain pills. You know, I just really don't want to risk falling off the wagon again. It took me so long to get clean and convince my wife and my kids to let me move back in. I just can't risk messing that up, but I, I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? And here's the response from the hacker. That's good to hear from you. You need to keep yourself private. So I, I had a hacker telling me that, yeah, we don't need to hear all that. <clears throat> At that point, my stepmom deleted her Instagram account. So I'm disappointed I couldn't continue the drama with them because I absolutely would have continued on for weeks if they would have kept engaging. I like doing that to to hackers and uh, people who call claiming I owe them money when I know I don't and things like that. So well with that, we're done. Um As always, this has been Killin' Missin' Hidden, and you have found this episode to be interesting. The host has struck you as being highly charismatic, and your life is now more fulfilled and more meaningful. This is our gift to you. Alright, be good kids. Brad out. Thank you for listening to Killin' Missin' Hidden. Make sure to rate Subscribe and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.